Hello world, it's your boy Pat, coming back at you with the next episode of the Hollow Down podcast series. want to thank you for making it back to the episode today. Uh, like any other day, hope you're doing well, hope life is treating you as best as it can today. And we've got a few good things to talk about in today's episode. So we dubbed the episode today, Chatbots and Death Rays, and you'll find out later where that comes from. can pretty much guarantee that every episode, the title will come from an obvious topic that's going to be discussed but can't give it away just yet we're still a little early on now of course this is most definitely a relaxed cigar lounge style conversation type podcast everything is going to be chill it's going to be relaxed it's going to be open discussion and I'll restate right off the bat for you. I am interested to know what your thoughts are, whether those are questions, comments, concerns, whether you have a topic, idea, something you want to talk about, please shoot me an email. That is going to be thehollowdown at gmail.com. Nothing crazy, nothing fancy, just like it sounds. And it'll send your information my way so we can kind of have a virtual conversation. I do plan from time to time to, you know, bring somebody in. Um, and if I get to have those moments where I sit down and actually have a an honest conversation where it's not just me talking to you, probably actually video those sessions and throw those up on... Uh, the YouTube channel. Um, not going to do that on a weekly basis. Um, gearing more focus towards the podcast in this endeavor. However, I'm going to keep that platform alive as well. So, anyway, so for today, first thing we've got to do is get the cigar going. That is primary function number one. Sitting outside uh, mid-afternoon, just late enough to go ahead and have a small drink in the process. Mention that in a moment as well. But today, the weather is amazing. Thought it was going to rain a little bit, and didn't do that. Cold temperature subsided. Now we've got a nice sunny day outside. So we're gonna throw a V-cut in this puppy. I do use a V-cut in most of my sticks that I smoke. There's a few that I will do a guillotine cut or a punch. I have a really nice guillotine cutter, but I do prefer my V-cut. 
Uh, someone introduced me to uh, that cut uh, a couple years back, and it completely changed the experience for me. Um, let's see, probably about 11, 12 years of cigar smoking now, and it was almost like a new experience going with the V-Cut. The airflow is different, the, the intake is different, and similarly to how good airflow enhances performance in a car's engine, it also enhances the burn and the flavor and a good cigar as well. Personal preference on that in almost every case, but that, that would be mine. So let me light this up. Uh, give me two seconds and I'll tell you what we got going on. Just windy enough. Took a second to get that char going on the end. So today we're smoking a, a good cigar that's... haven't known about this specific one for very long, but it became a favorite of mine pretty quickly. Made by Rocky Patel. It is a Strata. So Rocky Patel Strata. Kind of a... Kind of in between sizes almost. Um, maybe a cross between a Robusto and a Torpedo. Uh, not a Perfecto tip. Um, some Torpedoes are. Uh, nice dark. Uh, they don't they don't classify it as a Maduro, I don't think. But that's kind of the vibe I get from it. Dark Nicaraguan wrapper um, most of the tobacco is uh, from Honduras a little bit of Nicaraguan as well but it's really good deep dark so obviously coming from a very uh, well-known cigar line so uh, if, if you're Anyone that's even lightly involved in cigars, you probably are aware of the Rocky Patel family. Or at the least, the name of Rocky Patel. I don't think I can say that I've... And I haven't... I'll preface this next statement. I have not had every one of their cigars. Um, that's a pretty impossible task. If, um, somebody doesn't get to smoke every day. So, I haven't had them all, but I, I do not think that I can say I have enjoyed a single smoke from Rocky Patel that I did not like. And even some of your most popular brands, I tend to find at least one stick that I don't particularly like. And I haven't come across that yet. Now, it's crazy is I was kind of expecting that this might have been that stick for Rocky Patel. Just because of its price point, and I do realize price point is not everything. 
gives you an idea of where you might be sitting at but uh, I got a case of these and I'm trying to remember exactly how much I paid for them at the time uh, it's been a couple uh, been a few months back since I, I got the case um, I tend to not smoke one case straight through I have several at a time uh, as long along with some samplers keep them in the humidor keep them rotating through so I'd very rarely will smoke the same thing twice in a row come back to it when it's finished put the next case in the humidor but I, I want to say I paid don't get me wrong I, I want to say it was about 60 bucks a stick so I mean you're talking three or four bucks sorry 60 bucks for the case so you're talking three or four bucks a stick and I understand you get discounted pricing with the case but still I digress on a tangent a little bit there but still uh, very good quality stick for such a price so I was prepared for it to be on the lower quality of things and it's definitely not so Rocky Patel Strata um, give it a shot and for those who may not know Rocky Patel we'll give him his adage real quick um, and forgive me if I have this wrong this is very basic information here but um, I want to say it was a uh, early 1990s I don't think it was the 80s pretty sure it was the 90s uh, Rocky Patel was a lawyer over in California LA if I remember right um, and he uh, joined a cigar association out there um, very new to cigars at the time he wasn't one that grew up smoking them uh, not that I'm aware of um, was approached to start a venture and he did um, I don't remember the exact name of the cigar company that he ended up creating. Uh, it was an Indian-based company name. But he uh, wanted to reach a younger crowd, target different marketing schemes and packaging schemes and stuff like that, and definitely paid off. Um, got the attention, and people realized that he had a desire for it, and it paid off. You know, so age isn't always a factor for quality. Sometimes you just got to know what you're doing and do it right. And that would be Rocky Patel. And speaking of age, jump over to the whiskey side of the world. Um, got a little article here regarding whiskey's age that I found intriguing I'm going to read some excerpts from um, while I'm sipping on a bottle of original Pendleton blended whiskey I'm not too big on Canadian whiskeys or blended whiskeys Pendleton is on that short list for me scotch and bourbon is definitely where I normally land but there's a few on the Canadian side that I'll enjoy and Pendleton is one of those but this is an article just a couple months ago that was from popular you know what I got the excerpts out of it I want to say it was popular mechanics uh, talks about how whiskey is and the entire whiskey world really is built on the legacy of age and, and quality 
Um, most batches are even categorized by age statements. And that the idea for almost anybody that partakes in such drinks understands or believes that age is the standard by which we determine quality and and flavor points and value you know you're, you're willing to spend more for a 12 or 18 year old scotch than you would a three but as with the cigar world same is is true with whiskey because age is not always better and age is not always the truest factor for quality <clears throat> so age is definitely one thing to take into consideration but it's the maturity of the ingredients that really matter for now whiskeys do have a requirement for a minimum of time time that it has to age to be qualified as a certain category of liquor and most whiskeys um for example, uh, Scotch, um, Irish, I believe as well, and the Canadian, the minimum requirement is three years to, to really call it a whiskey. Japanese and rye are only two, uh, completely different taste style there. Bourbons don't have a minimum to call it a bourbon. Bourbon has a different requirement that states that it has to be aged in a brand new, never used oak wood barrel. Uh, they're brand new oak, and there are several different types of oak. They're not specific on what type of oak. That's left up to the distillery based on what flavor profile that they are going for. But it does have to be aged in a brand new oak barrel, if you want to call it a bourbon. So, to play an English grammar game, Every bourbon is a whiskey, but not every whiskey is a bourbon. In fact, a lot of your Canadian and blended whiskeys purchase these uh, used barrels after they've created bourbon for one company, and they'll reuse them at that point. And that's part of where your blended blended name will come from. Whatever flavors they've got, you're used getting the flavors from the barrel plus whatever was created with the other company's bourbon. So this maturation um, happens inside these wooden barrels, right? Um, each type of oak can create different flavors, can create different infusions. Um, they char the barrels, helps get any harsh notes out. Um, but 50 to 80% of the flavor in a whiskey and all of the coloring of a whiskey comes from whatever barrel it's aged in so that that different oak wood selection is pretty important to the company that's actually making any particular bourbon or whiskey so obviously that natural process does take time which is where the age concept comes into play and why a lot of companies and people believe that the longer age provides 
better flavor, higher quality, but there is a limit because if you allow it to go too long, the tannins and bitter components that are in the oak wood naturally begin to be overtaken by the alcohol. So now they come out of the wood into the alcohol and overpower the flavors that you're trying to create in the alcohol. So you, you gotta you gotta play the system a little bit there. Um, now the reason bourbon requires a brand new barrel because of that flavor content. Brand new barrels obviously take less to pull out flavors than they than an, a used barrel would be so you don't need as long of an age to get quality back to the age versus quality conversation we're having today apparently so bourbons at three years can be just as uh, qual to have such a high quality and flavor that a you know 12 year blended whiskey might have um, don't know scientifically if that's correct but we're making a comparison and maturation also depends on your location you know your climate your temperatures um, everything is an atmosphere slash physics game when it comes to these types of things and understanding on a blended side of things your age that might be listed on the bottle is really referencing whatever the youngest ages in the mix they're throwing a three-year whiskey blend with uh, another blend that's 12 years old bottle can only say three years so you never really know on that one um, but like I said bourbon can a true bourbon is going to mature much faster than um, some other scotch or, or Canadian whiskeys just because of the fact that they're in those new barrels and that that is everything so sometimes your higher priced drinks may not actually be related to the quality of the drink as much as it is a logistics and profit return game because uh, it says in that article that um, any barrel loses roughly about 2% of the alcohol that's in it a year just by natural evaporation so the longer that it's aged they do lose a minute amount of product and 2% over the massive amount of barrels that's in production, that's a lot of alcohol. So uh, price may be higher to adjust for loss of product that way and just the time and climate control and staffing and all that sort of things it takes. So um, basically just understand that quality is great, age is great, they're not always in line with each other um, in a symmetrical format so for example the Canadian blended Pendleton that I'm drinking uh, this afternoon has uh, the Pendleton has a few different a few different um, few different whiskeys uh, this is their original so they're, they're lower priced uh, variety don't have the bottle sitting in front of me and I didn't think to look before I walked away from it but I'm pretty sure it's a three-year aged whiskey I know they're higher their higher volumes are 
little bit longer aged. Uh, Pendleton is an oak barrel, oak barrel aged whiskey. Um, it's not a bourbon, so most likely they are getting used barrels or a combination of barrels, um, whatever they decide to do there. But it's got a uncommon smooth taste. Still has a uh, complex flavor, flavor, complex flavor. A um, little bit of vanilla, honey, butterscotch taste. Um, and I'm usually not a, a clarify the honey is barely there. I'm not a like I don't like the Tennessee honey whiskeys and stuff like that. Um, but you can kind of get a hint of it. Pretty pretty a uh, balanced smooth finish. So. You know, basically, you've got a, a company, you know, you talk about bourbons in their age, that's three years in age, that can have a much better taste quality than a three-year blended Canadian. A three-year Four Roses, this is personal, personal statements here, a three-year, a three-year Four Roses bourbon, to me, has a better taste quality than a three-year blended um, generic Canadian. And I say generic because it could be any brand. I actually like Pendleton, so I'm not going to use that in this example. But three years to three years, and you've got two different complete tastes and quality. So age and quality does not always go hand in hand. Or I guess if we're going to be more specific, age does not always equal quality, but quality normally lends itself to age. And from there, we are on the next little topic to bring up, and this is the million mile car conversation. You know, something we don't see very often anymore. It's a lot of different thought processes onto the reasons why, whether it's a simple fact that we just don't take care of our stuff as well anymore, which I think is true anyway. Whether you have production companies and manufacturers that are creating products meant for that three-year cycle that we often hear about. Um, financial game, do they want you to trade into a new vehicle before your lease or your loan runs out so you never stop paying, which could be part of the article or the argument. But regardless, there is um, an editor um, talking about using Volvo as a comparison. Sorry, an editor for Pop Mechanics and this one, Popular Mechanics, this was mentioned back in April 2021. Uh, guy's name was Irv Gordon. He had a, this was pretty pop, uh, publicized. He had a 66 P1800S that he managed, uh, I believe he was a sole owner. He managed to drive more than 3 million miles before he passed away a few years ago. Um, granted, Cars uh, back then were pretty simple, um, straight machines, unlike today with all of their massive and intricate electronics. And this is the second episode in a row that while I've been outside recording, we have sirens going by. 
I'm going to give that a second to pass, guys. Okay. So, in this case, you know, it, it's a simple interchangeable parts. Um, newer vehicles have digital dashboard dashboards and you've got turbochargers and you've got, you know, various control modules and a whole lot of electronics involved. Um, the editor here actually spoke to a Volvo master mechanic uh, by the name of Nino Gambino. He's actually one that maintained Gordon's old vehicle, and he still works on some newer ones, so pretty good insight on both sides of the world. Um, says that it's possible, um, but the fact that you have all these electronics to control things now, um, he says, you know, for example, if the transmission were to start to slip, electronics would make up for it. And that's why there are no service intervals to change the transmission fluid on newer vehicles. At this point, I'm going to stop in and say that I disagree with this completely. Um, I know I'm not an engineer. And maybe at some point somebody will give me data, legit data, to change my mind. But I'm still a mechanic as well, on the side. Um, not a master certified mechanic. Um, general repair mechanic so like I said I'm not an engineer and I'm not gonna tout knowing more than I do best I know a lot and a lot of these vehicles that don't allow you to change the transmission filter because you got to disassemble the whole transmission or you know million mile fluids um, I, I just can't wrap my head around that because uh, for example I changed the transmission fluid in a vehicle a couple weeks ago that had 92,000 miles on it and no check engine lights no shifting issues no problems whatsoever that the driver could see couldn't change the filter without disassembling the transmission but they did ask me to drain and refill the transmission fluid to to give it back up to um, you know proper service interval and that fluid at 92,000 miles was pretty dark pretty burnt did not smell normal the viscosity was weakened um, which is you know um, roughly your, your thickness and, and its quality so it's hard to imagine these vehicles that say they have no service intervals just drive it because um, you see stuff like this and then you also see these vehicles not lasting a very long time so keep that in mind as well all these uh, manufacturers that are telling you that you don't have to service this, you don't have to service that, but yet the car dies in five years. So anyway, personal uh, pet peeve there. But back to the, the story, Nino Gambino also says that in a lot of these cases, if you don't have the special tools, you can't really work on these things yourself. So you have to go to the dealer. You're going to have to spend more money, you know. Um, so sometimes the price to disassemble an area just to fix one little part is not always worth the value of the car in some cases so you know we're just not always there so age and quality good conversations I spent um, half of our episode today talking about various things between cigars whiskey and cars um, obviously quality over age quality can lead to age but age is not 
definitely or not always a definite answer for understanding placements on quality. Alright, so let's get into the main topic of conversation today, shall we? So the title of this week's podcast is Chatbots and Death Rays. Definitely going to need a few more hits on this strata to get me through this part. Chatbots, we'll start there, right? So once again, we have our major tech companies trying to do some shady stuff. You know, it tends to be Google, Microsoft, Apple. Um, those three Tim seem to do some pretty odd things for us. So this one is Microsoft trying to... I'm not even sure how to start this, guys. I ain't gonna lie. Microsoft trying to come up with a answer to where we go when we die. And no, we're not talking any religious, biblical, faith-based things. I'm talking about your perceived self, I guess we'll say. Uh, back in December of 2020, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office granted a patent to Microsoft. Um, basically, to allow them to create a chatbot of a specific person using their social data. Um, says that they could use images, your voice data, social media posts, texts, um, anything that you have written or documented really um, and that it could also be potentially inspired by friends or family members who are already dead basically using things that you've already put online and have stored and digitized gaining them access to all of this information to create a chatbot of you and or family members and friends that have passed on giving way to some of the things we've seen in movies where your psyche gets stuck in in the digital format almost like a uh, sword art online-esque factor said uh, basically um, I don't know, that just kind of is what it is. But you've got, um, if I can pronounce this name right, uh, Arena Reku, Reisu. She's the director of um, Internet Ethics at Santa Clara University. She's just one person, and I kind of side with her, that, that has an issue with this. Although it sounds cool on the surface, you start thinking about the, the specifics of how this would work, right? You take your a person's tweets or Facebook posts, basically creates a computer index of things that you have said to try to create an algorithm for things that you might say um, but that's not going to always lead to honest responses for example half the american population is some sarcastic sobs just for fun talking person to person we all know 
half the stuff we say is complete satire or joking around but just like if you don't use proper emojis or proper acronyms in a text the person you're texting may not get the complete joke you're saying and might think you're serious this is the same problem so you using sarcasm on the internet might be something to consider because your comments could be taken in as truth and be built back into your chatbot chatbot dialogue when you die um, now they said here that this is not the first time something like this has been done or created this would be a whole nother scale back in 2015 um, a uh, technologist friends died in a car accident silver in Russia uh, she gathered text messages between two of them and a bunch of their friends and basically assembled a chatbot that created an analog for him and then a couple years later used that as an experience to launch uh, an AI chatbot service that allows anyone to make their own virtual friend. That's a small scale thing. That's kind of funny. But taking that into something and using it um, to really uh, recreate somebody as a, a long-term chatbot um, does create some concerns for privacy because we still have um, at least you know in the American Constitution we have um, our right to privacy so this is already kind of a violation of someone that's dead because they can't consent to anything which leads into the conversation that you might want to consider things in your last will and testament because the only, if something like this would actually happen, the only way to actually protect your own sense of humanity would be to create a section in your living will protecting your personal data and then hoping that your family would actually honor that will and protect it. That's a mess. Um, now, Popular Mechanics did say that, for what it's worth, they did ask Microsoft about the patent, who claims that even though they created the patent for this specific purpose, says that they don't actually have any active plans for the company to actually use the patent. I don't know why you would feel the need to create a patent if you're never going to use it. And the keyword, they don't have any active plans. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens here, but... Um, a little sketchy there uh, that they have gotten approval and created a patent to use um, your digital media and data um, to keep you around when you're gone looks cool in movies but in reality uh, way too early for that sort of thing I think so that's your chatbots so death race this is more cool technology uh, the U.S. Air Force, um, working with Lockheed Martin, has created a system that they call SHIELD. Um, would like to see which version of the acronym SHIELD actually stands the test of time because ever since, I swear, ever since Marvel has come out, came out with SHIELD in movies, I think a lot of people have been rushing around trying to come up with some legitimate weapon system or security system or something that then they can use that terminology because it just sounds cool. Anyway, uh, in, this, in this aspect, SHIELD stands for Self-Protect High Energy Laser Demonstrator. 
um, which is a mounted laser that would go on uh, fighter jets uh, to help with incoming air-to-air -air or surface-to-air missiles particularly. Um, they're trying to get them on planes by the mid-2020s, um, most likely on the technology side of things here they would most likely be geared more towards your um, relatively older systems and I don't mean old old but not your, your modern ones um, your modern planes have a lot of stealth and radar aspects that the laser might actually um, not work well with so um, basically you take off a, a bomb pod location and put on a laser to help um, fight incoming missiles um, currently on your, your quote-unquote older systems you know you've got evasive action you've got flares you've got chafes you've got um, a lot of different uh, physical things that you can do to try to stop missiles but the idea is to create a laser that can and shoot it down or deter it like I said bad fit for a stealthy aircraft like the f-35 you're, you're not gonna want to do that on um, that would mess up its own radars um, but it's a pretty good thought because you give up one bomb drop location for a laser that can potentially be a uh, self-defense system. Um, I'd, I would take that. Doesn't matter how many bombs you got on the plane if you get shot down first. So um, Lasers in time will um, definitely make aerial warfare quicker, make it deadlier. Um, it's just technologically cool. Um, you know, laser energy travels by you know, the speed of light. It's it's a light form, um, which would make it impossible to dodge once you get it on target. Um, but there's some drawbacks. So obviously, this is just the beginning. You know, um, this is true in any world. Um, the farther a laser beam travels, it gets weaker. Um, if you deal with any atmospheric effects, your rain, fog. Um, any water vapor, smoke particles, uh, that's obviously going to reflect the light uh, diluted strength. And then the major difference is you, you, they've got to get to a point where it's strong enough to once it hits it does its job. So um, right now that they've got it there, it's strong but it's not quite strong enough to explode a missile on impact. Um, so their initial goal is hopefully that you can keep it on target long enough to um, change its course or maybe eat away at a sensor on the front um, something like that because unlike where a bomb or a projectile has explosive force you're basically waiting on the concentrated um, heat and energy from that laser to do its job so um, right now it'd be a little tricky you know because you've got to keep it on that target for uh, some period of time don't know if that would be a matter of a couple seconds or a minute depending on how much energy they can get out of these but, you know, time will tell. So, uh, this is just the beginning, but um, potential for legitimate death rays um, coming on these aircraft in, in the near future. Especially if they can get that energy output to match the desired design. So, stuff you've seen in video games could potentially uh, show its way up to real aircraft, which... I guess it's pretty much always been the way it is. Um, whether people want to believe it or not, there's a whole lot of things that have come from Star Wars and Star Trek back in 
60s, 70s, 80s that have made their way to current technology. Somebody had to have the idea somewhere. So, uh, so um, almost the end of our time. So, um, not going to go over any other major, major talking points at this point. Um, but there's, um, you know, it's just all, always things to think about when you're talking about, um, and kind of this all rolls in together. You're talking about age and technology and quality, right? So pretty much that that was the topic of the day. Um, probably could have made that the, the, the episode title, but it's not quite as catchy as chatbots and death rays. Age of maturity, you might think we're having a parental conversation. So, age is a timeline, something that can't be stopped. Um, doesn't matter what you're talking about. You're talking about human lifespan, or you're talking about quality of, of goods. You're talking about research time, um, medical advancements, quality of a product, of a thought, of an engineering task, of a technological advancement usually comes with the understanding that there is an age point associated with it it took so long for this whiskey to mature it took so long for this tobacco to grow it took so long for researchers to figure out that this laser could be used as a weapon but if you look on the other side of it just because somebody spent 20 years researching a product doesn't by def by design make it good doesn't necessarily make it adequate so they although age and quality do line themselves up from time to time and no way shape or form is that ever a binding matrimony of two concepts so you do have to be able to separate the two so that's kind of our, our point of emphasis for today. I said we broke down, talked about the current cigar I've got going. Once again, it's a Rocky Patel Strata. For those that are interested in a, a good quality, cheap cigar. Um, obviously, um, I'll tell you what I'm smoking every week. Doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to dive into details. I just really like Rocky Patel and There'll be some, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. I do love cigar and cigar talk, so that will be part of the conversation at some degree. Um, whiskeys, to a degree, especially bourbons, but, uh, you know, obviously focusing on cigars. But talking about age of vehicles and technology today kind of kind of played into the understanding of, of age and those other, other concepts there. I've got some things planned up for you next week that are pretty interesting. A um, couple odd facts. But I've also got some interesting um, world and tech technology style advancements that I've recently learned about that I'm going to introduce you to on the next episode. Uh, so make sure you come back and, and listen to that one. So um, if you're any nerd whatsoever not that you have to be a nerd but if you got any type of interest in in how things are and curious curiosities of the world and the earth itself by all means come back next week because 
going to have some good information or interesting information to pass your way. But until then, I want to thank you for stopping by again, the Hollowed Down Podcast. Um, appreciate your willingness to stick around and listen. Once again, shoot me an email. Um, doesn't matter what it is. I want to hear from you. Um, that email is thehollowdown at gmail.com. And depending on what app or platform you're listening to, um, I know Anchor and Spotify for sure should be able to shoot me a message or respond to the Q&A uh, that way as well. But more than welcome to see me an email. Go for it. So uh, that's going to be it for today's episode of the Hollow Down Podcast. And until next time, stay safe, fam.